Hello, everyone, and welcome to uh, this episode of the Madam's Cast. Today, I am speaking to the brilliant Noni Dwyer, all the way from Australia, which is on the other side of the planet. Noni, are you there? I am here. I'm very excited to be here. Fantastic. It is so good to hear your voice. Um, listeners out there, for those of you who don't know who Noni is, for some reason, you've been living under a rock. <laughs> Noni Dwyer. Uh, is an old friend of mine from back in the River Cottage days. Uh, and Noni has her own food business in Australia, as well as being just a brilliant human, obviously. Um, Noni, how did you get there? How did you end up in East Devon when you were from Australia? Let's Can we start with a little bit of your journey to get there? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yes, wasn't that random? Uh, <laughs> uh-huh. I don't know. <laughs> Of all places. Well, yeah, I mean, my dad uh, was English. And so I did that sort of typical thing of, you know, finishing, finishing school and finishing some study. And I thought I'll, I'll go traveling for a few months over to the UK. And, um, and I stayed for five years. Yeah, that old that old chestnut. Five years. Was it five years? It was five years. Yeah, I had a year in uh, Scotland in Edinburgh and nice. had some time in the south of Ireland. Um, and then, yeah. And then of course, River Cottage where I was there for yeah quite a few years. Um, and which is where we met. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I feel like it was total, I don't know how I got that job. I feel like it was total luck. And apparently I was, I was so nervous, um, during my interview that, um, um, I was interviewed by these, you know, now friends, Dan and Gil, and Dan thought that um, Dan thought that English wasn't my first language. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be fair, you know, it, your first language is Aussie, right? It's, it's true. Different. It's true. <laughs> anyway, somehow managed to get the job. <laughs> so you got the job, and that's where I met you. And slowly but surely, I began to realise that. Um, you were quite interesting, and you, uh, <laughs> you I was seemed not to sort of normal. I was not normal. Yes. Oh, uh, you know, who wants to be normal? Normality is bland. Um, and uh, we became friends, and I remember chatting to you, and I hadn't realised until we went on a trip to Italy. Um, I think we, with some spurious reason, that a bunch of River Cottage folks were invited to Italy to make some media about the wonderful produce in um, in the region. Was it Calabria or Bruzzo? No, it was down uh, south somewhere anyway. Uh, yeah, Al- Altamura, was that? Altamura, oh. there you go, yeah. yeah. Well, I remembered. Uh, and so we were having a chat when we were out there and I began to realize because of the Italians failure to understand what a food allergy was, how severe your intolerances were to, I think I might get this wrong, but I think it was wheat and dairy. Yes, yeah, that's Is right. That right? Like, yeah, glute, gluten, gluten and dairy, namely, but I've got a few other little random ones. So yeah, that's right, that trip that was, I mean, that was pretty terrifying for me to go into the unknown like that. And I remember taking a lot of food in my suitcase, but um, yes, yes, I there was a lot, a lot of, of meat. <laughs> It's a lot of me. And I did quite a bit of sort of medieval tasting. I was sort of like, right, I'll eat this first and see oh, whether that's I right. That's right. I made you I made you be my taster. That's right. <laughs> I, 
luckily I was at no jeopardy. I mean, it wasn't a concern for me. I wasn't, it wasn't going to make me ill. Um, um, uh, but luckily, uh, I think we managed to navigate it reasonably well without you being too unwell. Um, and so then, you know, after a few years in Devon, you decided it was the time had come to return to the Southern hemisphere. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, the whole, the whole thing of me choosing to be or falling into chefing really was a pretty random thing given the given the food allergies and um you know when I first started in a kitchen I really had no idea I didn't even know how to cook normal pasta um so it was a very steep learning curve and then yeah had a kind of chefing life of learning how to cook food and check food yeah in a whole variety of different ways which didn't necessarily involve tasting it which was pretty I mean it's pretty weird really and I'm sure it was pretty strange to work with me at times because I would you know I invariably have my head in pots you know in inhaling smelling smelling the food all the time and I learnt to season most food um, through smell and work with pastry um, through kind of textural checks and yeah kind of just like have a whole raft of different um sort of checks and measures that weren't necessarily reliant on tasting the food which is you know obviously the thing that most chefs are doing constantly and when you can't eat gluten and dairy they're the two main foods that we are working with all the time um and i also had this obsession with making bread so i would you know every every restaurant i worked in i would be obsessed with like making the bread and I wasn't in the least bit tempted to eat it but I just loved the whole process and I just found it really magic and and at River Cottage obviously there's this whole kind of extra magic to it because you'd be you know building the fire in the wood-fired oven and you know making this sourdough and um you know there's a real kind of um it's almost you know, it's kind of almost religious, really. It's a really beautiful experience to, to have, you know, to, to make something like that from start to finish and to be a part of the whole process, including actually making the heat that cooks the food. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, but, yeah, anyway, I eventually kind of um, came back to Australia and then um, had some time kind of working in different areas in food. I did some stuff in magazines and uh, recipe writing and um, kind of parts of the job that I'd had in the UK, um, but yeah. then couldn't quite sort of replicate over here. Um, and then I kind of just had this moment of going, this is really kind of silly because I'm, you know, I've had this, career of cooking in one way but then I go home and I cook in another way because that's the way that I have to eat and I felt like I had this whole different sort of sensibility around um, what good food for people who have allergies could be and I mm -hmm. thought well I'll just try and make some you know gluten-free bread and make some things and and also to make it for chefs was um was the thing and to kind of be the kind of hidden chef in the kitchen um yeah, yeah. and that was kind of the thing that i really knew and i understood and i i thought i had an idea of what a chef would 
want from a product and um and that's how i started my little artisan gluten-free bakery yeah artisan gluten-free bakery what a brilliant uh what a brilliant way to describe it and what's it called noni oh it's man it's called noni's food it oh, sounds like i've got the biggest ego in the world hey 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 listen you're on a podcast called the madam's cast i don't think we need to have an ego off <laughs> two enormous heads together <laughs> No, I, I, you know, I, I really like the honesty of it because that is what it is. I mean, you've arrived at those recipes from a really unique um, standpoint. So you're on the one hand, you're a chef, and on the other hand, you can't eat half the stuff you're making, and yet yes. you've developed incredible sensory ways of assessing it. And then when you put those two together, I mean, it might, did it feel a little bit like the scales were falling from your eyes? I mean, it it sounds like a big sort of epiphany kind of moment to me. Yeah, it was a, it was kind of, um, oh, Matt, well, at the, to begin with, I wish it was all magic from the beginning. But to begin with, it was really hard work because I'd, I'd worked on and off, you know, 10 years to come up with my, my first bread recipe that I was really happy with. And then I got into my tiny little, um, commercial kitchen space, which I started out in and, um, it, wouldn't work uh, and I had this very painful first period of absolute crash down to earth of trying to fix um, these problems that were occurring and then when I kind of worked through that which was very painful um, it just kind of felt like yeah I mean it certainly felt like all of these things had just come come together and that I was doing the right thing and I just sort of didn't really I was felt like I was looking around me and looking out into the world and not really seeing anyone um, doing the kind of thing that I was trying to do and with the attitude that I was trying to bring to cooking for people who have allergies or have to you know eat a, um, a restricted diet for whatever reason and just trying to make it about good food and delicious food and that and that that was kind of the focus rather than um there being something lacking about it yeah yeah so not thinking about what's not there that's not yeah. the point and i just got really point. influenced by i was very influenced by my time at river cottage um and uh and and just my time of like eating out in in great restaurants and just thinking well if you go to a really fabulous vegetarian restaurant for instance you don't notice that there isn't any meat because it's just great food and yeah it was that kind of idea that I wanted to bring to it and um I've been doing it for six years now and we um supply a lot of uh really fabulous uh cafes and restaurants around Sydney and around New South Wales and um we have a number of places that will only use our bread and I think um they, so they use it as their normal standard bread. And I think yep. if you had said that to anybody in restaurants, you know, 10 years ago, that a, like great restaurants would be using a gluten-free bread as their standard bread, I, I think yeah. they would have yeah. completely laughed and told you were an idiot. So I think that's pretty, it's kind of, a, that's been a really exciting thing to sort of, 
um, open other people's eyes to the idea that actually this kind of food doesn't have to be bad food. This can be really great, um, well, delicious, that's you know, celebratory food. Yeah. Yeah, precisely. I mean, if you went back those 10 years and asked that question, you'd be asking the wrong question, wouldn't you? The question is not, you know, in 10 years time, will these amazing restaurants be using gluten free bread? The question is, will these amazing restaurants be using the most wicked bread available? Yes. And if that yeah. made by that happens to be gluten free, that's kind of by the buy and a bonus, really. Absolutely. Yes, I know. Yeah. And how, how exciting that that can that can happen. And that's a possibility. Because, you know, I, I was diagnosed as a as a kid and the the bread that we would have was just you know the styrofoam cardboard <laughs> version which was you know and so delicious oh, so <laughs> <laughs> okay okay well let's leave that bad food memory there you want a, you want a good mission okay so Noni, that's a great little intro for everyone who uh wants to know where you're coming from and how you've ended up here talking to me across the internet from the other end of the planet um the next part of the madam's cast really is just a very simple three-phase thing you get a magic button awarded to you if you want to change three things in the world of food and they can be real fictitious fun serious life-changing whatever you want um it's just a chat but we like to structure that into little three choices. Um, how are you feeling about your three? Have you, do you think you've got them? Um, I, I've, I've thought about it and I, I have them, but now I'm worried that I could have made them more frivolous. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, you've got the entire time of talking about the first two to potentially ditch the third one all right look i you know me i'm very happy to sit here and listen to serious thoughtful stuff for hours on end i'm also quite happy to sit here and laugh about a spider going around in circles you know i mean it's <laughs> it's it's, it's fine. um so let's start okay. with number one and see if that would be the best thing okay all right i've kind of got two two negative ones and then a positive one so the first one is just better bread so just better bread for everyone in the world and that the whole you know version of sliced white bread with 30 different ingredients that takes an hour and a half from start to packaged is is gone i know there'd be like a lot of cries about that <laughs> well, I, yeah. but there is one reason that we need to keep it a little bit of it and that is for a cheese tasty at one yes. o'clock in the morning okay, okay. That, that i'm what? i'm totally for but like for the majority yeah i mean i guess i'm just I, I i'm a bit unusual in my um little allergy sphere in that i'm not in the least uh anti-gluten but i'm am anti bad gluten and there's just so many terrible things that have kind of befallen uh bread which is just such a you know obviously such a staple and something we've been making for literally thousands of years and has kept us going for thousands of years um yeah. and good reason for that and that has kind of changed out of all recognition in a really short period of time over the last um kind of uh, you know four decades or whatever it is and um i think it would be 
awesome and we will be much much better off <laughs> to have better bread um yeah that's that's my simple first one <laughs> uh, it's a really good one it's a really good one and actually you know it it was clear from what you were saying in your little introduction about the sort of quasi-religious experience of making sourdough and cooking it in a wood-fired oven. Mm. There is something very mindful about making bread. Now, I um, I don't know if you remember a guy called Aidan Chapman who also of used course. to do a bit of baking um, yes. back in the day. Well, he had a phrase, and he always used to say to people when they asked about how long you needed to prove something for or how long you needed to bake it for, his answer on the face of it was very flippant but actually the knowledge underneath it was very valid and he used to say you have to watch the dough not the clock mm. and think well that's all right for you to say you smug baker git you know i mean you know how to do it all and you know what you're looking for but the point is that when you immerse yourself in the understanding of what you're doing and you put the importance of making your daily staple food in the center of that Mm. entity of life mm. you know you get to the point where you're like right the, the dough's in charge on, in some way and it can't be used until it's at the right point mm. well I think that's right I mean that's kind of I mean saying let's eat better bread also sounds a bit sort of flippant and silly but actually to me uh, that brings together a whole lot of other things and um, if we're talking about sourdough then obviously that is um you know that's the way that bread has been made for thousands of years and there's a good reason for that and it, it, there's actually a huge nutritional benefit um for eating bread that's been fermented over a long period of time and it's much better for our guts and all the rest and then if you actually go to the extent of making your own there's an incredible um there's an incredible thing about having a connection with a food that doesn't necessarily follow a recipe. And I know that that's a really scary idea for lots of people and they want to know exactly how many teaspoons and they want to know um, exactly what the volume's going to be and exactly what the time's going to be or, or the temperature and all those sorts of things. But actually... There's a really beautiful connection which comes from actually being familiar with making that food and and doing it repeatedly so you have that understanding um, and that connection and trying it and, you know, working through those problems that might occur as well and the knowledge that's gained from that and you get to put something on the table for your family, maybe you know, maybe with your hands, which is pretty magic as well. So there's like a whole, you know, there's obviously the health aspect and there's the um, that kind of side of eating better bread um, and there'd be a whole lot less people with intolerances and, and allergies and all that kind of stuff because that is one of the, you know, the, the, um, the results of... of uh, you know, eating these sort of really hybridised um, modern strains of wheat, which are treated as they are. But there's also a really sort of beautiful and simple um, idea of just being, of having that connection with our with our food, and you know, all yeah. those things that we talk about all the time, which was, you know, where does our food come from, and how is it made, and and what are we putting in our bodies, and yeah. 
amazing. And everyone's going to be a slightly happier anyway because their breakfast was a bit better. They're you know, I mean, better. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's like, wow, hang on a minute. I've just had a, a, a just about time between stuffing the kids on the school bus and walking the dogs to cram a bit of bread and some <laughs> jam and chops. And, it, you know, it was a good experience rather than an average one. And, and, and that, you know, that's just going to make the world a happier place. So just better bread. I could not agree with you more, which will not come as a surprise, oh, obviously. Phew, phew. <laughs> <laughs> but before we leave just better bread behind, yeah. can you just, if this is not some kind of ultimate trade secret, which it might be because I'm springing it on you, but can you just tell us um, what blend of flours you would use in place of wheat? Because there'll be lots of people out there listening to this who'll be desperate to know. Oh, yeah, that's that's a it's a really um, big question, isn't it? So unfortunately, um, for anyone who has any experience with baking gluten free, you will already know that there's no one replacement for a gluten containing flour. So that means that you have to use a combination of gluten free flours, um, which. Uh, can initially seem a little bit daunting because you're having to put a number of flowers in the bowl as opposed to, you know, just one and it's most simple. Um, but the exciting thing about that is that um, there's actually still a lot to be understood from gluten-free flowers. There's a lot of grains um, and seeds out there which haven't been explored as much as they could have because they haven't been utilised. So, yeah. um so generally it's important to have a, um, a mix of starch, starchier flours and then um, hopefully also bring some flours in which have a bit more added nutrition. So one of the really unfortunate things about a lot of the more commonly used gluten-free flours is that they're pretty nutritionally sad and a really mm. simple test of that is kind of to look at the colour of it and if it's if it's just absolutely white, then there's not a lot of nutrition going on in there. So Yeah, xanthan, xanthan gum upsets me quite a lot. Yeah, so we don't use any gums at all in any of our products. Um, and we've just sort of made that decision because there's lots of, lots of people that have issues with them and they're just, I only want to use real ingredients. Um, but so you're not going to tell me what they are. <laughs> the, the mix of flours that we use in our breads are rice, um, tapioca and potato. And then we use other flours um, with that. So we do like a activated charcoal and quinoa bread. And with that one, we use um, quinoa flour and buckwheat flour. Um, we've been using um, teff flour, which is, um, I think, one of the, the smallest seeds in the or smallest grains in the world and we've just started growing it in Australia and it's really beautiful and kind of dark and slightly nutty it goes really beautifully with chocolate as well we use that in our crackers um, we use a bit of chickpea flour um, we've got our own very tiny mill and we try to get that out and mill mill some grain when we can um, and uh, what else do we use um, yeah there's a whole, no, that's a whole host yes good enough that is good enough um thank you very much i feel like i had to sort of crowbar some of that knowledge out crowbar that. <laughs> <laughs> there's a there's a lot to there's a lot there so it's like you get me going and then i won't shut up i will never get to number two and three <laughs> you, 
I mean, shutting up during a podcast recording is bad news. Don't don't do that. Um, I think it's called dead air. It doesn't sound good. So very shutting up. I'll interrupt you if I need to. Um, and <laughs> so we've we've got the magic basic ingredients. That's fantastic. Um, and we'll all have to just go off and experiment with making our our better gluten free bread for our friends that can't have the the um the gluteny stuff. Now then, um, no need to hire. Your ambition number two for the world's food improvement schedule. Oh well, number two is a really big one. So I was trying to think. I was trying to think through this, and I thought, what what are the things that are really kind of bugging me in food? And um, uh, one of the one of the big things that's changed since um, uh, you and I were hanging out is that uh, I've got a little daughter now, and. Um, Yay! I know. That's so cool. <laughs> it's really cool. That is so cool. Um, what's her name? Come on, what's her name? <laughs> her name's Evie, and um, she's a lot of fun. And it's kind of opened me up to this whole parenting world, which I was completely and utterly ignorant of. Um, and uh, and also the challenge of feeding your own child. And, yes. Um, I, like when she started eating solids it felt like this oh, I've never I've never felt more pressure and um, I took it really very seriously and uh, you know she was, I was making the chicken broths and I was doing the whole thing um, and she eats very well thankfully and she's loved food and she loves um, trying to cook with me sometimes a little bit too much it's a bit enthusiastic and she's like trying to wield the knives around already which is like far too early um and uh that's fine when we're in our own little kind of microcosm of um my family and our house and all that kind of stuff but what i've had to really face in kind of going out into the world is the terrible food that's out there generally for kids and oh yeah, don't stop well i'm just really um i'm really at a loss to kind of understand how it happened that kids food became bad food and that 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 was okay because it was for kids and so somehow it didn't matter even though these are these little future adults who are growing their brain cells and, you know, growing all their muscles and all their sorts of things. And, mm. um, yeah, I'm just kind of been really thrown by um, some of the food that's out there that's just considered, like, completely normal and fine and, um, and oh, really encouraged as well. And um, there's this kind of, yeah. like... Yeah. It's a treat. Come and eat something that you won't recognise. is full of sh sugar and salt. Yeah. It's damaged the planet and is wrapped in disposable wrapping. But it's a treat. It's a it's treat. treat. Yeah. It's not not a treat. Stop feeding that rubbish to my children. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you know. I know. So I mean, um, my kids eat enough rubbish as it is. Yeah. You know, you can't deny <laughs> it around. They'll be into it. Um, uh, Try your best, but sometimes it is a bit overwhelming. But I, I, I don't know how we got there. Is it just the cynical march of capitalism, or <laughs> is there something less, less black and domineering involved? 
I don't know. There's something connected somehow, I think, with this idea that you can do whatever you like when you're young. You know, when you're like in your 20s and you there's this idea that you can go out and you can drink as much as you like and you can party as much as you like and, and it'll That's be, not an idea. It'll I prove fine. That. <laughs> it'll be fine. <laughs> and there's something, there's somehow something connected in there with our kids can kind of eat anything and it'll all be all be okay and um and i've obviously got a lot of control over her at the moment but uh there's this kind of fear of like as she as she gets older and as she's sort of you know out in the world that much more and you know away from her domineering uh, food obsessed mother and <laughs> you know at children's parties and all the rest that kind of I, I, I have to do away with that and what do I do away with and what is okay and what isn't okay and um, and for someone who's kind of had my own health problems um, and had to have all the allergy testing and all that kind of stuff I'm obviously really keen that she's as healthy as possible and so I've seen and I have experienced what it is to be unwell and I know that intimately and it's not fun, you know, and I guess um, there's a slight luxury for people who haven't had that, which is wonderful. Um, I wouldn't wish it on anybody, but um, that you can kind of do what you like and it come back at you somehow and I guess that, yeah. that whole kind of idea sort of bleeds into everything else like who are the who are the vulnerable in society and I guess it's it's kids and of course you know if we could improve food and nutrition for them but also people who are in hospitals and people who are in nursing homes and you know the fact that there's this kind of quota of you know it's x number of cents per day to feed someone who's in a nursing home and actually Oh, no, no, I hate that. All of the, you know, nutrition that they can get and, um, you know, people in hospitals who are actually trying to get better and they just get, you know, back to the bread. They get their white bread every every meal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Producing food down to a price is never the right approach in terms of actual value of food, is it? I mean, it's it's like... Um, so there's a lot. There's a lot wrapped up in number two for you. There's so, a lot wrapped up in number two. It's a biggie. It's a big one, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, with the kids, I have this friend. She's a food photographer, and she um, she won't mind me mentioning this. Kirsty Young is her name. She's very good at what mm-hmm. she does, and she is also a parent. And she has this thing where she looks at it differently. She says, "You know, they're not a different species. No, they're, they're just right. younger." what you feed them they will eventually eat and if you keep feeding them the stuff they're going to learn to eat that so that can either be good stuff or bad stuff and the habits that you put into them now for sure they might rebel later on but there's a good chance they'll come back to it right yeah. I mean there's you know I think for me it's never been a major issue because I think well I, I'm not going to eat that other stuff because actually it's not very enjoyable to eat you know and and if I'm going to eat something I want to enjoy it that's kind of part of that's basically yeah. the reason I'm here as yes. I can work out <laughs> so um so I can't cope with that one um and then the other one is that sort of social pressure so the first time that your 
wonderful young daughter gets invited to a birthday party that's at a fast food joint, mm. you have this parental car crash in your head. I had it with Isaac, who's my eldest. I just mm. wanted to say no. Everything in my body was urging me to say no. He's not going. <laughs> and I had to be cool and just go, no, do you know what? It's not, it's not about that. It, it, at this precise moment, it's about him being able to go to a birthday party with his mates. Yeah. So I'm just going to zip it. I'm going to put it away and I'm going to let them go for it. And um, that was quite hard, but he seems to have survived it. I think it was bigger in my head. <laughs> um, so uh, you can look forward to that one. Um, so better food for kids who then become adults. And then so we're in danger, really, of having a, a, a number two that is basically just better food. It could just be better food, couldn't it? For just for, for everyone, but like particularly anyone who's like vulnerable. Is that the right word? I don't know whether that's the right yeah. word. No, yeah. it is the right word. It is mm. the right word. So the World Food Programme have this sort of um, interesting philosophy. On the one hand, they're feeding you know people at the point of starvation across the developing mm. world. Mm. On the other hand, they're investing just as much into places where kids and adults are not hungry but are not healthy so they're malnourished but obese at the same time those that's an extreme example but that can be the thing and i think that is very telling of a problem we have created by mixing up the cost of food production and its value yes Yes. These two things are intrinsically wound together by this system that we've developed for trading with each other and for basing our lives upon. Mm. And those two things should never be joined up, right? The value of good, nutritious food should not be bound up within a framework whereby if you can't afford it, you're not allowed it. No, that's absolutely right. And to to think that you can... uh scrimp on good food and for that effects not to be shown elsewhere is is such a naive idea and you know and it's kind of our first it's our first defense and it's our first everything to just kind of if we if we eat well we're more well like that's kind of as simple as it comes down to and wouldn't that isn't that a better alternative than to have to be medicated for a symptom of something that could be fixed through just eating better? Um, And I'm not saying that that's the answer all the time, but there are so many things that if not could be made better, if not could be fixed, it could definitely be made better by, through our diet. And uh, I don't want to get very preachy because I know lots of people get preachy about this. And, um, And I think it also needs to be, you know, it needs to be really clear and it needs to be scientific as well, not just kind of a bit kind of, I don't know, hippy-dippy and, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's a lot of science behind this, which is really important to understand and to know and and to know that this is is real as well. And, uh, and, you know, if, if you're not, if, if as a society you're not prepared to put in for the country's diet, but then you've got to, um, you know, invest massively in 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 healthcare and in mental health care and um, you know social problems and all the other things which 
can actually also come back to the way that we eat and the way that we live and um, and the way that we also connect through through food as well that that can be a really kind of bonding uh, societal thing of, of just kind of simply cooking together you know that can be an amazing yeah. thing that actually helps with mental health and you know so there's a huge amount that is really kind of um, part of a, a bigger picture in that I think brilliant wow wow number two there absolutely <laughs> nailed down brilliantly. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. what a great one I'm gonna um, I'm gonna say one more thing on it and then we'll yes, move on to number please. three yeah, what to come back? Um, I don't know anything really about nutritional science, gut biomes, any of that stuff. But I do understand um, a little bit about environmental impacts and social impacts of food. Yeah. And one of the things that becomes very clear to me is that if you want cheap food in the shops, what you end up with is expensive environmental costs and expensive health costs. Mm that's where it goes yeah I think um, that's right yeah you're just paying it mm, for it in a different way yeah, so i don't really understand the the vectors or the or, you know how that works but i can see the results you know it's like that kind of first level testing that you can sort of see you can see it and it feels right and you know it's the answer um but i'm not you know certainly not nutritionally aware enough to be able to um to to talk about the reasons for that Okay, amazing. So we're gonna so far we're gonna have just better bread. Yeah. And then between two food. slices of bread, we're gonna have better food. No, yeah. uh, specifically kids, because I think you're right. I think if we start, if you teach a child to eat good stuff, they will naturally hone in on it, right? I guess what I'm hoping by uh, what I'm doing with Evie is that I'm hoping that I'm kind of setting her palate. So even when she sort of gets older and she goes out and she has the other things and they, you know, taste delicious, but it's kind of short reward, she'll kind of come back to going, actually, I still just like eating vegetables because... I've She's gonna hate you. <laughs> <laughs> when everyone else was having hot dogs. I mean, no, 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 no. I'm sure you're not damaging her in any way. Um, it's going to be a brilliant journey for both of you. And, you know, I look forward to talking to you again in a couple of years and seeing how it's going. Because yeah, um, what to do the update to this one. <laughs> I mean, it's a constant, you know, she's two and a half. I bet she can already negotiate with you pretty hard. Oh, of course. Yes. Yeah. So let me, t let me just tell you, that doesn't get any less. <laughs> no, I'm <laughs> right. not 40 press-ups daddy can i have an extra crisp and it's like no <laughs> it doesn't work like that we'll start in my crisps get off them yeah anyway right okay, I, I'm, I'm sort of wandering off into my own baffling world now no, okay no, so I number i have to hide my chips don't worry that's <laughs> <laughs> okay fantastic i mean one of the things that i do know a little bit about is that you're not supposed to give too much salt to people salt's really bad i mean salt's like the new smoking or something and how, um, how and... do you find that as a chef i find oh that so hard. Oh, damn i mean salt give me salt and I always soothe myself with the fact that we can't live without salt either. Without salt, we'd be dead. So it can't be that bad, surely, as my arteries crystallize. Um, my, uh, my brother has uh, the most beautiful thing that he says, that um, a chef only has 
three answers to what um, the, to the question of why does that thing taste so good, and the answers are chicken stock, salt, yeah. Uh, yeah. or butter. Butter, yes. <laughs> <laughs> what a surprise that butter has reared its ugly head. Yeah, yeah, yeah there is. A, uh, I remember explaining to a lady once, um, this was back in the River Cottage days, actually, when I was at the canteen, we used to do this mash. And I used to make my potato mash in the way that I'd learned to from a guy called, um, uh, what was his name, Tim. And he was the executive chef for Marco. And they made their mash by pureeing the potatoes in a ricer. Yeah. Adding a l enough milk to sort of, to allow you to add enough butter that the potato just became a stabilizing agent in this <laughs> I remember that man. I remember saying yeah that. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the only thing there was lots of salt and um this woman came over and she's like can you tell me how you make your mash so creamy and delicious do you put cream in it and I said no we don't put any cream in it but it's about 45 percent butter oh wow <laughs> looked at me and laughed and I went no it is oh, really? <laughs> genuinely 45% butter by weight. And she was like, oh my God. <laughs> I said, it's restaurant food. You can't eat it every day. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. Oh, I love it. That's great. <laughs> yeah. Scary. Um, okay. Okay. No need. Uh, number three. Come on. Number three. Where are okay. we going with number three? Well, I felt like the first two were a bit negative, so I better have a nice one in there. And um, so my third one is just to uh, be celebratory around food. And that um, if we were all a bit more celebratory around it, we wouldn't want to sit down to dinner with some like TV dinner microwave number or even if it's like something that's really kind of standard weekday fare to make it special in some way like to get out the good napkins or to put it on the good plates or um you know to sit down at the dining table and eat together or um my mum used to do something where she my mum would always cook like really large joints of meat no matter how many people were in the house. So um, she was always ready to feed 30 people and uh, it might just be her or, you know, her and a friend or whatever. And she'd cook like a whole leg of lamb and the whole thing. And that idea that you could visit on a Wednesday night and have like this amazing roast dinner was really special and beautiful and, and she would always make ways of... of you know, making a meal a special thing. And um, I really love that idea. And I, I was in, um, I was back in Devon at the end of uh, last year and I um, bought some, uh, these beautiful like mustard colored uh, yellow napkins and I bring them out every now and then. And it just makes me smile whenever I see them and I think, um, there's so much to love around of there's so much to love about food which isn't just about the food it's about the people coming together it's about stopping and you know talking about your day um, it's about that piece of pottery that your friend made you uh, and it 
looks like shit, but it, you love it because they gave it to you <laughs> and, um, and you use it all the time. And, you know, there's just, um, I think there's something really beautiful in these markers of the day. And I think um, like one of the, one of the things if you're, uh, if you're a religious person is that there are certain rituals that kind of break up the year and um, and even if you're not religious like there's a whole set of you know Christmas and what have you and um, there's like food associated for all of these kind of religious festivals or religious periods but actually um, they're their rituals that kind of um, break up periods of time but I think in miniature we have that every day with meals and there's kind of like a really nice idea to take something somehow somewhere <laughs> even if it's you know one meal in your day or one meal in the week to try and uh, celebrate it and to make it special in some way that's my number Brilliant. three yeah, and, and celebrating around food. And I don't think you should be shy about drawing a religious comparison there. I mean, all all faiths have something to do with food because they recognise the importance of it. Yeah. Religions, if not beliefs and, and deities, religions at least, I think we can all accept are, are a constructed thing that people have made. And so, of course, they are, you know, vitally involved with food and some ritualism will come into that. And you mm. can have ritualism in your life without religion. We mm. all do. I mean, I, for example, can't leave the house without patting all my pockets and repeating the mantra of where have I put my keys? <laughs> so, you know, there are all these, these things that come into it. And I think that thing, as you say, of sitting down and sharing a meal um, and maybe getting the secretly significant yellow napkins out or whatever that thing is, if it stops the scrolling of the phone, if it stops the bleating of the TV, if it stops the anxiety of the uh, of the you know the finance application on your phone telling you you haven't made enough money in your work this week, mm. you, you know, it stops all of those things. Doesn't send them away, but it just quietens them down for a while while you involve yourself physically and emotionally in something else and share it with other people that you care about. That's a good thing. It is a good thing. And it's not It's not as though this is a, you know, it's obviously not a new idea and this is something that, you know, so many people keep coming back to. And I just think there's such a good reason that people keep coming back to this. And there's such a good reason why um, there's something so beautiful about, about coming together and about sharing and... Um, you know, this is one of the one of the interesting things actually about um, I found about being diagnosed with allergies when I was um, a kid was that I found one of the challenges when you make new friends is that food is offered, and it's one of the very first things that often happens of of um, is a sharing of food. You sort of go, oh hey, would you like some of this and um, and I, I, I remember feeling really conscious about it because obviously I was in a position where I would invariably have to say no, but hey, let's still be friends, <laughs> you know? And it was this kind of 
funny thing of learning, well, how do I, how do I say no without, without giving a signal that um, I don't want to talk to you? And um, yes, yeah, it's kind of, really, I don't know why I just thought of that, but yeah, that just kind of popped into my head. But um, there's, well, obvi there's obviously something really basic and, um, and human about wanting to, you know, break that bread and, and to share it with your neighbour. And, um, and it's so important. It's a, it's like a, a like a little, the simplest reset that we can do in our lives yeah. that we have to do. Yeah. You know, we've got to eat, so why not? You know, make a. Well, you don't have to eat now. You can have a brackets nutritionally complete oh. shake. Oh, how and, delicious! Uh, <laughs> how joyful you can. Um, you can flip it while you're walking on a plastic treadmill apparently to make you look as you should look to be in the magazine while i'm uh, learning french i hope yes okay great oh well you be a romantic language. i don't think you'd be learning one of the romantic okay languages. we'll just learn it's something much more guttural like, i don't know like see an enemy or something <laughs> um <laughs> okay oh brilliant wow that was i could sit here on the internet and talk to you for hours about this <laughs> Um, but you know, I do try and um, do try and rein it in a bit for the poor old listeners. So I think we've got three really beautiful, clear things that um, all look, all feel quite similar, but are all different points, if you like, on that same sort of circle diagram of, of what you would see as being a better world of food. And I like that a lot. So um, to move us onwards, you have a challenge. You were given a challenge in advance. Yeah. I know, I know, I know, it's difficult, it's difficult, but, um, okay, so I'll set the scene for you. You're on a desert island, and it doesn't have to be your traditional desert island. It just needs to be somewhere where you can't leave, and, um, you know, you, maybe it's your favourite place. Maybe it's a place of solitude and happiness, I don't know, but you're there, but you're only allowed one cookbook and one drink, which you're going to presumably sip whilst you're looking through it, and I'd like you to talk me through what those are. You can use a couple of examples to get you there if you have to. It's a bit like asking someone what their favourite album is. I know, I know, it's difficult, but we need to try and hammer it down to one, please. Um, so I'm sit sitting uh, in my um, kind of quasi office while talking to you, and I, this is where I keep all my cookbooks, and so they're all staring at me like, "What do you mean? You, what, you, what do you mean?" <laughs> Uh, just kind of like nervously eyeing them like they're going to attack me for not not picking them as the one yeah it's uh this is the hardest question this is very cruel um yeah I've uh, I've been thinking about this one today and going well I mean well I mean is so your uh game book is the river cottage game book is there obviously of course on the, hang on a minute. Hang on, hang on. Is I'm it? giving the teacher an apple. You're not allowed to do that. That's. I'm gonna. If this was a points-based system, you'd be in trouble for such obvious transparency. I know. Well, I'm like, what? What? What else do I say? Um, <laughs> I mean, if I'd written a book, I'd just take my book, obviously. So, no, no. Why, um, why haven't you written a book? No. Why have you not written a book? I know, isn't that isn't that rubbish? I should get on it. Um, uh, hang on, publishers of Australia, <laughs> over here, come and get Lily's book off her. She needs to do it. Okay, okay, good. 
Um, no, because I thought, well, what would be fitting? Am I meant to take it? Am I meant to take a bread book? And then I thought, I really don't want to take a bread book. And then um, am I meant to take something really classic and um, sort of like educational and I, you know, sit down and read LaRousse Gastronomique from, you know, cover to cover and learn all the skills on a desert island where I can't make anything. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, There's a really beautiful uh, Aussie classic called The Cook's Companion and it's written by Stephanie Alexander and that's that's definitely on my short list and it's and it's beautiful because it um, is one of those books where it's kind of an A, an a to Z um, and so you kind of look in your fridge and you go, oh my God, I've got all these ripe avocados, what am I going to do with them? And you look up avocado and she's got, you know, 30 recipes for avocados and they're from a whole host of different people and um, you always find something new and interesting and uh, and lovely that you want to try so that's kind of a nice one and then I thought do I take Nigel Slater because he's fun to read it's so tricky um, yeah. and I've had friends who've written books of course uh, overlook them but oh, I am going to press you <laughs> so okay well, well I, I think I'm going to say um, I don't have to say Gill's book of Gather. Oh, it is a good one. Because um well it's obviously you know, I obviously worked with Gill and he was very um influential for me and for the way that I think about food, but mainly mainly I read that book and it just makes me think of Devon and um, the beautiful food that I was able to cook when I was there and the beautiful people that I was with and that's kind of it's, it feels very um, close to my heart of uh, reading those words and seeing those pictures and um, yeah. those kind of combinations yeah. of flavours and um, there was something kind of um, yeah sort of very powerful about my time there and I feel like reading his book sort of is quite representative of that so um so i think that's the one well obviously i'm gonna to have to now boot you off the podcast i know um, and go kill sorry <laughs> gil anyone who hasn't read gil meller's um uh book gather should do so it's really very good um and i think it won all sorts of awards and stuff i mean obviously i've been deliberately not paying attention oh, probably to i mean it's just ridiculous how he does that it, I'm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i know i mean how could you possibly be so good it's I, annoying i was also doing pop-up dinners when it came out and they were called with with a chef friend of mine and a sommelier friend of mine and the dinners were called gather round and i'm like oh gil you bloody well stolen my name as well yeah <laughs> Yeah. No, it's going to look like you've nicked his and oh my oh, god oh. It's, it's really it's a great book oh and well chosen but what are you going to drink oh, while yeah. you're flicking through pages? oh yes okay so my friend um my friend angie is made it's very specific is making um these really cool fermented shrubs with um australian native botanicals 
and whoa, whoa, whoa. absolutely next level amazing um and then um if you put them with like some gin or something they're even more amazing so yeah i'd take and angie shrub and um make myself some cocktails that's cool so what is a shrub is that like a fermentation like a kombucha type thing yeah i think the shrub is um fermented with vinegar i think that's the definition of a shrub okay yeah. okay so there's kind of this lovely tangy tanginess to it and then she yeah. uses all these beautiful um uh, australian native ingredients like davidson plums and finger limes and uh yeah they're really special they're beautiful wish i could send you some well i mean yeah, that would be nice, wouldn't it? But I mean, liquids from the Southern Hemisphere, I'm going to start to feel bad about the, the, the yeah, yeah, difficult to post. And also, I'm going to start to feel a little bit bad about the embedded water signature as that travels across the planet. But maybe, maybe I'll, gonna, I tell you what, I'm going to build myself a, a dugout canoe and I'm going to paddle down there at some point. And, yeah, and, do that, do that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the Southern Ocean, that's no biggie, is it? It's no biggie. No, it's cool. No. People do it all the time. Awesome. awesome. So you're going to sit there, you're going to regather, you're going to sip your botanical shrub with a little bit of gin in there, because why not? Um, and you're going to be in your happy place. That's fantastic. Noni, that was just the most tremendous conversation. It's been so lovely to catch up with you. And I, I really hope that the listeners have enjoyed um, hearing your thoughts and my interruptions on your thoughts, uh, all about food and how it ties in with people's health and their well-being and affects you know this very society we live in oh i've completely loved it thank you so much for having me it's been really lovely you're totally welcome uh noni dwyer thank you um before i sort of chuck you off you have to nominate someone to come on the madam's cast and you need to tell me how people if they would like to know more about what you're up to can find you so are you on um any of the social media platforms and who would you nominate to come on the madam's cast yes uh yes yeah, so we're on social media you can find us on instagram at noni's food and it's n-o-n-i-e-s um or nonisfood.com.au is our website um and the person i'd like to nominate is my good friend sabina and she's um a chef who wandered into my life completely unexpectedly when i was doing a big event and just um lent a hand in the most uh, magic way and has since become one of my dearest friends and she's one of the most talented chefs I know. And so I can't think of a better reason why you guys shouldn't be talking to each other. Oh, wow. Then let's get her on. And what was, what's her surname? Spindler. She's a German friend of mine. She's lived in Australia for many, many years. And now she's back in Germany. So she'll be in a closer time zone to you. <laughs> oh, that will be good. Because it's what, what is it? It's eight o'clock in the evening over there. It and is. it is. 11 o'clock in the morning over here is that yeah, right yeah, yeah not too bad at this time of the year with yeah. daylight saving yeah yeah um, okay. <laughs> okay so well you know we'll have to try and get hold of sabina spindler and see if we can stick her on um, my german's rubbish does she speak english <laughs> she, yes she yes she does <laughs> oh that's a relief, that's a relief um, because otherwise you know that was dead in the water <laughs> 
really kind of short, short, straight, that one. <laughs> excellent, excellent. All right, well, look, uh, Nene, it's great to hear from you. I'm going to boot you off the recording now. Um, and um, we'll see you later. Cheerio. Bye. Bye.